This series of the For All Mankind podcast is brought to you by the Gardner Family Apothecary. Caring for your sensitive skin with the Elav and Ovel solutions, proudly made in Ireland since 1934. From Ovel Silcox Base to Elav's Sensitive Beauty, their unique formulations provide low irritancy, cruelty-free and sustainable skincare solutions for you, your family and your sensitive skin. You can keep up to date with all of their news, discounts and exclusive offers across Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Gardner Family Apothecary. Visit GardnerFamilyApothecary.com for free next day delivery with purchases over €25. Euro. Hello and welcome to For All Mankind, the podcast. Today's guest is Living Mindfully. She's a stay-at-home mum and a mum to Rowan. It's Orla Harrington. Welcome, Orla. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You're very welcome. Um, You and I have had so many conversations um, through Instagram and I think we hear a lot about the negatives of social media, but actually for a mum and a first-time mum and for me being a second-time mum, it's if you can find your tribe you can really kind of create little bonds and friendships with people, can't you? I could not agree more, especially, you know, being a first time mother in a pandemic um, and not really knowing any mother, any mothers in my real life. I have not like I never expected to find as many mothers online and feel that connection with so many people. It's been so invaluable. It's amazing. So it's it's the shout out to, you know, the Instagram tribe mums that are finding each other and like willing each other on. Um, and your journey I have found so inspiring and influential because as we will discuss it, like in particularly your the weaning journey that you've done with Rowan. And I'm on my second weaning journey, you know, with Peter. So a lot of the things we've done actually have been heavily influenced by you. So oh, I wow. had to have you on the <laughs> podcast to share your wisdom. Um, wow, okay. <laughs> so talk to me about your pregnancy with Rowan. Right. So, yeah, so I got pregnant, I think it was 2019, around November time. So I started off, you know, the usual first trimester, incredibly sick. I was one of those typical people who experienced every symptom in the book. I was miserable. And it just felt like, you know, my lockdown started then. Um, I could barely leave the house. We had just bought a house as well. So it was like no furniture in the house or anything. We were trying to renovate and I was just so sick. Um yeah and so then I you know plodded along just tried to kind of deal with the intense morning sickness um ended up having to get medicated for it honestly because I was just I was losing a lot of weight I was just it was starting to really affect my mental health honestly um but anyway I started to feel a little bit better and lockdown hit (laughs) so I kind of felt like I had an extended lockdown because I had been so sick and stuck at home since around November time um yeah, so my pregnancy kind of just continued on then with extra symptoms. I had threatening preeclampsia. Um, oh, I'm not even going to list them. It was miserable. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this can relate to that. Um, yeah. And then you, you got to around a 33-week mark with Rowan. Mm-hmm. And you were signed off work at that point? Yeah, so at 33 weeks... Um, everything had been fairly typical up until that point. Um, 
a few times they had mentioned, oh, he's little, you know, and just kind of, I thought, well, you know, I'm a small person, so my partner's not the tallest in the world. So we thought like, you know, of course we're going to have a small baby. And, but anyway, I went in at the 33 week appointment. Um, and luckily I had gone semi-private, so I was actually getting ultrasounds pretty much at every appointment. Um, and they spotted that he was quite small. So they sent me for a full anatomy scan at that point, um, which really worried me. I just I hadn't been expecting it. It was supposed to be a flying visit and I was supposed to go back to work. Um, and she said, no, she, he looks a bit smaller than I would like. So I went down for the anatomy scan and came back then um, to, to the consultant. And she said, yeah, he is definitely he's got intrauterine growth restriction, which means he wasn't growing as well as he should. And they didn't know why. They didn't know if my placenta wasn't doing its job or what the problem was. But he had dropped off of his own growth curve. So immediately they signed me off work. They told me that um, I would have to be induced early. There was no way I was going to go to full term. Well, they said they would try and get me to full term at 37 weeks. So he wouldn't be a preemie, hopefully. Um, but that I would have to come in every single week for uh, growth checks and blood flow checks to and from my placenta to see if it was still functioning and make sure that he, he was doing well. Um, it was absolutely terrifying. It was one of the most surreal experiences, honestly, because I really just thought like, you know, I had made it to 30 weeks and everything was fine. And yeah. obviously I went into that appointment by myself during the pandemic and found this out. Um, so yeah, that wasn't a fun experience. <laughs> So then you signed off work, you rested and you yeah. got to week 37? I did, yeah. So I came in every week for my appointments to check on the growth and my placenta and I did make it till 33 or 37 weeks and that's when they induced me. And so just before we talk about the induction, like you were actually really proactive and prepared for breastfeeding. Like you had met with a lactation consultant, you started harvesting colostrum and everything. Yeah, yeah. So you were you were very adamant from the get go and you knew obviously that Rowan was was going to be born smaller than average so that mm-hmm. you, you had prepared yourself to to breastfeed. Um, yeah. And then how did you find the induction? Having had to be induced twice myself, how did you find it? Honestly, I found it OK. I've, it wasn't as bad as some people kind of prepared me for and I'm glad that they did I'm glad that they did kind of prepare me mentally that it would be a little bit harder like with the artificial oxytocin Mm -hmm. um, for the induction like the contractions hit a lot faster and a lot harder than potentially they would have if I hadn't been induced but anyway I did a lot of um, research on positive birthing on um, hypnobirthing I was listening to a book about that and I just kind of went in with such a strong attitude um I don't know, I felt like so much had been taken from me during my pregnancy between the pandemic and then being told that I would have to be induced, that my body wasn't going to be allowed to do it by itself. I figured, okay, well, what can I control here? What can I get going the way I had wanted to for myself and for my baby? So I suppose that kind of mindset really helped me going into the induction. And then Rowan was born at five pounds, five ounces. I mean, to me, that doesn't sound... Like, so I suppose he's a pound lighter than what Alice was. How right. did you find that? Like, did you find him? I suppose I, I mean, as I think any new mom, when you're handed that teeny weeny baby, they all seem absolutely like, <laughs> like a dot. And you're like, oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah even an eight pound or a 10 pound baby. Yeah. You just feel like they're your tiny newborn, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't that kind of um, nervous about his size. He was just my baby. And it's the weirdest thing. But like, I knew 
he was fine. Do you know, like they were worried about his size. They were worried about, you know, his growth potentially. And I just had this kind of internal calm feeling that he is fine. So when he was born and he was fine, like I wasn't questioning his size or anything. He was just my baby. He just couldn't fit in any of his clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and the the post-birth, you know, the postpartum piece in the hospital, how did you, how was that for you? Obviously, your, your partner wasn't with you um, and going to an induction. Period. Yeah, you know, just still being like in the postnatal ward in the hospital. So your partner obviously can't, he, was he mm-hmm. allowed in for the, 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 like the final parts of the labor? Yes. So yeah. I was in the hospital for 24 hours by myself being induced. And then he arrived for the final stretch when I brought was brought up to labor and delivery. He was there for that. And he was there for two hours afterwards. And then it was just me and the baby. <laughs> yeah. And I like um, it. That's very hard. Yeah, it, it really was. Honestly, it was a lot harder than I had expected. Um, My birth was a dream, I have to say, like I loved all of it. I loved the labor. I loved the birth. I know that sounds so strange to some people, but then postpartum hit me like a ton of bricks. The postpartum experience in the hospital and afterwards was pretty horrendous, I have to say. Um, yeah. And is that around like like the breastfeeding support or is it around, you know, the yeah. day three baby blues or both? Both. Um, so in the hospital, uh, I won't get into it too much, I suppose, because I don't like to, you know, give a negative message about, you know, a hospital. But I got quite unlucky with the midwives who were taking care of me postpartum. Um, I felt like my voice was completely silenced. I felt like my confidence was completely knocked as a first time mother. I was I very much felt like I was being treated like I wasn't his mother and everything I thought or knew was contradicted my oh I was just I was so upset for most of that time um my breastfeeding journey was completely like stopped I suppose um they told me don't even bother trying you're never going to be able to breastfeed him he's too small your breasts aren't the right you know shape um just if you really want to give him breast milk here's the pump we'll hook you up to that they barely really taught me how to use the pump and uh, I had to feed him a bottle um, also we're a vegan family so I had really hoped to not give him formula um, but if I did give him formula I had wanted to give him soy formula because um, I knew it was only going to be a small amount I wanted to feed him primarily off of breast milk um, so I had checked with my consultant before going into the hospital that I would be able to give him soy formula if I had to um, she was not supportive but told me it was a possibility and then when I got uh, to that point where they were telling me they had to give him formula I got another huge big lecture Um, yeah it was just it was very very hard and then he was force-fed dairy formula pretty much against my will and he was vomiting it was just yeah it was very hard for the first few days that I was there I was just so excited to see my partner and come home (laughs) the partner is there to like as much as we can advocate for ourselves like you have just given birth and you are exhausted and you are trying to advocate for you and your baby yeah and I think that is so important that that's part of why we have our partners there is that they're there as well as almost like somewhat like a mediator to kind of go look and it's a reinforcement to your voice yeah, like we shouldn't need exactly. it but it seems that at times we do need to have a second voice advocating yeah. for us you know you're in your most vulnerable state you've just given birth especially during a pandemic your hormones are everywhere you're exhausted and 
you know, it's kind of their word against yours. So it is hard without that extra support person there. Yeah, absolutely. And then once you got home, where did you go then from your, for your breastfeeding? What support did you get? So when we got home, I suppose I was very kind of traumatized, honestly. I felt like health professionals had let me down big time. I had seen the lactation consultant before I even went in to give birth. And then I had seen her again while I was there. Uh, The midwives that had been there, the nurse that discharged me. There was just a lot of people kind of uh, who should have been my support who were telling me just to stop trying. So when I came home, I kind of felt like, okay, well, I really have to do this myself. Um, which is not the right answer. (laughs) Um, But anyway, I had my partner anyway. Uh, We picked up the rental pump on the way home. I was pumping around the clock every two hours, trying to put the baby to the breast before every feed. It was the most intense routine between sterilizing and bottles and pumping and storing and trying to bond with my new baby. And, you know, anyway, it was a lot. But after about two weeks, I realized, you know what, I actually don't have to do this by myself. And I really thank social media for that. It showed me that there were other options out there. And so I reached out to a a breastfeeding counselor from Kweju, the charity that helps with breastfeeding. And that's where things started to kind of move forward. And what support did she offer you? So she basically she offered me knowledge but she also offered me validation and I think that's so huge that's so important for a new mother when you're feeling so vulnerable and so kind of like your voice has been silenced you know um but she gave me a lot of different tips um different articles that I could read she gave me like her time on the phone and like kind of encouraging me and helping me with different positionings and strategies and routines with the pumping and everything to keep my supply up she helped me with the knowledge I suppose and then in the end it turned out that my issues did go beyond her expertise and at that stage she helped me to find a lactation consultant so yeah she really did go above and beyond and then the lactation consultant um did she come to the house or was did you do it online I actually got very lucky in that I found a lactation consultant with the help of the breastfeeding counsellor. Um, I found one of the only women in the country, one of the only lactation consultants in the country who could see people in person. So I travelled down to South Dublin and saw her in person in a clinic. And did you find, how did you find her? Did she help you? Again, it was just such an extremely different experience than I had had. Oh, I also should mention I had seen the other um, lactation consultant from the hospital in that time who also told me to stop breastfeeding. So I had seen two lactation consultants before I even made it to the third one who helped me. Um, But yes, so that third lactation consultant just actually, you know, gave me space to, you know, grieve that hard start to my breastfeeding journey. And, you know, things hadn't gone the way I had hoped. She gave me space for my emotions and she also gave me practical advice she just seemed to have a lot more of a holistic approach rather than very you know kind of harsh you know Um, and so she really just gave me a lot of kind of encouragement and a lot of practical tips and um in the end (laughs) um it actually wasn't it well it was kind of a combination of her advice uh the breastfeeding counselor's advice and things I kind of picked up on from Rowan and myself just in you know between the two of us and then I kind of just kept going with the pumping and trying him on the breast every single time. Um, And he learned how to breastfeed by himself at almost four months old. And was it the the latest um, lactation consultant? Was she the lactation consultant that diagnosed his tongue tie? 
No, so that was me. Um, really? No, yeah. Nobody um, kind of... They don't. No, <laughs> they don't. They don't. <laughs> no, they don't. I can tell that. you as a mum who has two babies with, with tongue tie, even okay. in the hospital. They don't check. They don't check. And I asked, no. I said, when the the pediatrician came around I said look I, I I felt Peter had a tongue tie I said I think he's a tongue tie and he checked mm-hmm. and he said no 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 he doesn't and I said okay and I did I, I wasn't <laughs> even going to argue because in my head I was like it's okay I'm going to meet my lactation consultant when I get home and she's going to check so it's I knew very good myself yeah, okay. um <laughs> yeah and so you diagnosed that you spotted it yeah yeah, so I spotted a lip tie first, which I had seen on different forms from different countries that that could have been a potential problem. Um, and then I found out that in Ireland, they don't treat lip tie at all. Um, and then I kind of looked a bit further for a tongue tie because he was having a real problem with latch. He couldn't open his mouth wide enough. Now he has a very small mouth anyway. Even now that he's bigger, he wouldn't have like, I don't know, he just has a small mouth and he was a tiny baby. So getting a deep latch was very tricky. Um, And then I did realize that his tongue had very limited movement as well. So I brought him back into the hospital and asked them to check in the baby clinic and got it snipped. And they actually did it in the hospital for you? Yeah. Yeah, they have a clinic there in the baby clinic, um, not in the actual hospital itself, but beside it. Okay. Yeah. Um, Because I'm surprised by that because most, I'd say any person I've spoken to, and there's been many about tongue ties, they've always had to go private. Um, oh, which is so you, you I suppose for me, it's I just find again, it makes breastfeeding even harder for mums because now you're putting like a monetary wall. So you yeah. know, you have to pay for your lactation consultant to yeah. diagnose it and then you have to go privately um, to release it. And that can be between like 200 and 400 euro, depending to what clinic or doctor you visit. Oh my goodness, um, no way. Yeah. Is it that expensive? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have insurance and I went semi-private with that hospital, so I actually never saw that bill. <laughs> yeah, it's and I just feel like it's it's again, you know, as a society and the government, where we are very pro-breastfeeding, which is fantastic, but I just feel that sometimes that support like that you have discussed here, it's it goes to a point and unless you persevere and unless you have you know, financial support as well mm-hmm. to keep you yeah. going. And even that rental of, and again, I speak from experience, that rental of the pump. It's not cheap. It's not cheap. Um, nope. You know, and even buying pumps, like there's so much expense yeah. attached to it. Obviously, it is an invaluable, you know, thing to breastfeed your child. But yeah. I do think that if you have any issue, you do to an extent need some financial support to help you and it's a pity Honestly, that yeah. we can't that there hasn't been like a grant available or some means that you could provide receipts to say look I have breastfed or I have at least tried to breastfeed and this is the cost I've incurred and yeah. that maybe you know a grant is available or a subsidy or something I just feel like it's you know it's just very difficult because it does seem that a lot of people who have struggles with breastfeeding do end up needing to go down the route of renting a pump or going to a lactation consultant or both yeah and those two things alone and then you're telling me about the fees to cut a tongue tie oh my goodness like it's very difficult when people think you know breastfeeding should be the cheaper option yeah exactly not always you ended up getting the LV pumps Mm -hmm. I've seen them how are they I've never used it I've used the Medela um, the Rita Medela, the hospital grade, and I have a Medela swing. But the LV, yeah. they look like the dream pump. 
<laughs> they do. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with my LV pumps. Um, no, they are fantastic for freeing up your hands. I was able to use them while getting chores done or cooking dinner or whatever. Um, but they're very finicky. Um, there's a lot of small parts that have to be absolutely bone dry or they do not work. So you put them into your bra and start them off and they're not working and it takes a good while to kind of figure that out because obviously you can't see them they're in your bra so you could be pumping for your full 20 minutes and then have a look and there's no milk there oh no yeah. yes so you kind of have to get the hang of them okay. um, but once you do no they, they were a lifesaver for me like with being able to kind of move around and do other things because pumping every two hours for four months is very time consuming <laughs> so I needed that time back and then at the four months Mark Rowan mm-hmm. breastfed. I know. Yeah. How amazing I, I, is he? <laughs> whew, oh my goodness, I don't know. And How... your perseverance, <laughs> to be fair, Orla. <laughs> yeah, it was not not an easy journey, and I never honestly thought that we would get to that point. You know, I heard over and over again as I was struggling, I heard people say, take it one feed at a time. Some people would say, take it one day at a time. But I actually got to the point where it was take it one feed at a time. And I wasn't looking ahead to, you know, making it to six months or a year or beyond because I didn't know if it would happen. Um, But yeah, at four months, um, it was the strangest thing. He had a week where he wouldn't take a bottle and he wouldn't take the boob. Um, and when I say I was dancing around the living room trying to get him to take milk from any source, I really was. It was so stressful. I was just trying to get milk into my child any way I could. Um, and he was hysterical. He was so fussy and so confused. And he had developed quite an aversion to the breast. He was stressed, obviously, trying to breastfeed. Um, but the bottle, I could usually get him to take. And at that point, that week, he wasn't taking milk from anywhere without me literally swinging him around the room while feeding. Um, and then a few nights before Halloween, he just, I don't know, he just decided, I actually, I'm done with all of this messing around. Just give me boob and that's it. And he wouldn't take the bottle. <laughs> um, so, yeah. That's amazing. And during during your journey, other hiccups that you know you we can experience is like mastitis and, and black ducks do you have any advice for mums on how to manage them yes <laughs> unfortunately I have developed quite a lot of experience with um clearing blocked ducts um I developed mastitis I think three times in total I can't remember but blocked ducts a lot that I managed to clear before mastitis took hold um but my big thing every single time was heat massage and then empty the breast so there's multiple different ways you could do that and um, you can heat it with um i used to use you know one of those microwavable yes pouch things yeah the beaver, yeah, I used to use, ones. yes yeah. those ones i love those so i always used to use that but you can also use like a hot bath or something like that so heat the breast and then massage it so you want to massage from the top of the block duct towards your nipple to try and help the milk kind of flow towards your nipple that way and then express or feed so you want to empty your breast then as much as possible and so your baby is usually the best way to do that because the baby is more effective than any pump Um, but my baby didn't feed and that's why I kept getting block ducts so I had to pump and I also had to do a lot of hand expressing Um, so yeah that's that's how I do it (laughs) and then at six months well I suppose did you start just before six months to wean Rowan no, he was six months. He was yeah. six months. You decided to do 100 foods before one. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I yes. absolutely loved following this. Um, Did you? <laughs> yes, I loved it because That's because it, I suppose as well when you have I have Alice, so I was so nervous weaning Alice. Like I was an absolute yeah. nervous wreck. Like all the allergen foods, I would just run a mile from oh. them. So I had a good bit of confidence with Peter, but because you have, I found certainly this, and because I had Alice, yeah. I probably wasn't getting through an awful lot of different kind of flavors and stuff. So I Peter was kind of eating like what Alice ate. So yeah. watching you was giving me inspiration of going, I don't like, of just the array of food, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah when you see a baby down, eating asparagus, you're yeah. like, what? <laughs> Actually, there's been so many times I've gone down to our local, to the local supermarket and just picked up, you know, all different types of fruit and brought them home and, and, and different veg that we, you know, that like Alice w- wouldn't eat asparagus. So we probably, so then we've become out of the habit of buying it. Yeah. Uh, and then poor Peter has missed that opportunity. So yeah, yeah. Because you have two, you've got a lot going on. Like, you know, so I've, that's what I just loved your hundred foods before one. So tell me all about it. <laughs> okay. So yeah, no, obviously breastfeeding was a bit of a struggle. Um, and I just felt like, I was nervous to start weaning. I didn't know what to expect. And I had been so completely consumed by breastfeeding that I hadn't looked ahead to solids. And then, so at four months, he started breastfeeding. And then I thought, oh my goodness, we're just figuring this out. I have two months to figure out how to give him solid food. So what am I going to do? So I Googled, as you do, um, weaning. And the first thing that came up was this podcast, Baby Led Weaning Made Easy. I didn't know whether I was going to do traditional spoon feeding or baby led weaning. I didn't even know what the difference was. I really had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> Typical first time mother. Um, so I started listening to the podcast anyway and instantly loved, I don't know, the vibe of it. I loved her personality and that kind of drew me in. And I loved the fact that she was so qualified. Um, so I was just listening and listening. And the first few episodes, like I went right back to the, the start of the podcast and just was listening and learning, taking it all in. And that was it. I never looked at a different resource. I never read any books or, you know, I just went with her way because I loved how she was approaching it all. Um, but because we're a vegan family, I didn't know if we would be able to do the 100 foods approach that she does. Um, because obviously finding 100 foods at all is difficult but when you eliminate all animal products it's a little bit harder and but I thought you know I'll just give her way a go as much as possible and her kind of whole concept with the 100 foods is to try and expose your baby to as many textures and flavors as possible um in a way that's safe for your baby age appropriately as they kind of go from the six month mark all the way up to like a year or whenever you know the weaning period Um, and I just was fascinated by it all and I thought like you know this is proven to give your baby the best chance at, you know, reducing picky eating, helping them to have a good relationship with food, helping them to kind of control their own hunger, as in like follow their own hunger cues. They have that independence. Hopefully I won't have to be spoon feeding him when he's a toddler. Like I was so ner- nervous of all of these things that parents struggle with. So when she was kind of, when baby led weaning was kind of offering me a way that would possibly reduce those, you know, possibilities, I kind of went with it. So yeah. We started off anyway, and then I kind of got hooked and decided to write out a list of 100 foods to see, you know, just for the fun of it. Like the the number 100 means nothing. It's literally just a fun goal to work towards because it's giving you the best chance at having lots and lots of different flavors and textures. And how did Rowan find weaning? Did he take to it? 
He really did, yeah. So the first, I think, three days, he was a bit kind of confused. But really after that, he was just flying it. He just wanted to try everything. I kind of got lucky because he was already putting everything in his mouth, whether it was food <laughs> or not. So that helped. Um, and yeah, no, he, he's doing really well. He feeds himself with his spoon. He uses a little open cup for his water. Does really well. And being empowered with all inf- that information as a first time mum, that obviously took away any of the, the nervousness that you... yeah would have around it yeah exactly so I was just kind of you know I I was nervous about choking I was nervous about allergens I was nervous about just doing it wrong do you know I had felt like I had had struggled so much with breastfeeding and I never got a full answer as to what had gone wrong so I just felt like you know I can't get this wrong too that's not maybe a healthy attitude or healthy approach but that's where my head was but you know what giving baby led weaning ago just really gave me back my confidence and it was so much fun I really just enjoyed sitting down with him at mealtimes it was just such an enjoyable experience and introducing the different textures and flavors is there any textures or flavors that you found that Rowan like loved or kind of so he started off he kind of just liked everything honestly um he struggled with banana which is interesting because that's normally every baby's favorite food and it was the first food I gave him as well but for ages he really struggled um I don't know it just would slide around his mouth and end up just plopping back out (laughs) I don't know um but no he got the hang of that as well the only foods I think he doesn't like still are pomegranate he just thinks they're toys and lime and like literally out of the 100 foods those are the only two he doesn't like and did you give so was that like a, fre- a fresh pomegranate that you gave him yeah just so the kernels of the pomegranate yeah. now this was one of the very last foods i yes. gave him it yeah. was it was not an early food at all he had pretty much mastered eating at that point um yeah no i just gave him what are they called kernels the kernels yeah the yeah um, yeah so i just gave it to him in a bowl with a spoon and he just kind of threw them around he thought they were funny <laughs> <laughs> And being a, a vegan family going forward, um, you know, with Rowan and, and, and just bring him into kind of family life. And I suppose a lot of people would probably be concerned around lacking of vitamins or mm-hmm. certain nutrients. I suppose if you're a vegan family, you're well aware of all of those, of how to keep the, the, the balanced diet. Yeah, exactly. So I have been vegan for almost five years. I've been vegetarian for almost nine, I think. That's been a long time. And then my partner, I think, has been vegan for five years as well. I can't remember. Um, But it's been a long time. And we would be quite conscious of nutrients and just health overall. And we were before we stopped eating meat as well. So, you know, we kind of have it figured out, I suppose, at this point. I wouldn't suggest launching into it with yourself and a baby at the same time if you haven't got that research behind you. But you know, at this point, we know where to get each nutrient from. Um, we know that he can get everything he needs from a balanced vegan diet. And if you followed along my 100 foods, you could see that pretty much, you know, I followed somewhat of a structure where I was going between like, you know, fruit, vegetable, starch, protein, and then like a, you know, a mixed food at the end of the week. Um, if you looked at that, like with the nutrients involved, you'd see yeah. that, you know, he he's covered yeah (laughs) yeah so and then we will supplement with well we're supplementing with vitamin d at the moment because he's breastfed and then he will have a b12 supplement as well and or you made um 
I suppose, a life-changing decision recently. Um, and you've decided to become a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, that was always the plan. <laughs> it feels kind of, you know, it's more just enjoyable to be able to speak about it openly now because obviously I had to let my employer know um but no this has been in the works for a long time we always kind of knew that when I had when I finally had my babies I would struggle to leave them that's just always been kind of my personality um I don't know so we kind of put things in place a while ago like we bought our house and we kind of changed things around within our lifestyle to try and figure out a way for me to do that and I mean, it's not easy, but I think every every situation that every mother has, has, you know, their pros and their cons and their challenges and their enjoyable parts. Um, but no, I'm, I'm very, very grateful to be able to do this and be at home with them at the moment for his early years anyway. We'll see what happens in the future. <laughs> yes, exactly. And are you looking forward to the summer ahead with him? Oh, I'm so Out excited. Out of lockdown just... and I, like... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. I just feel like, you know, his first year was limited enough with the experiences that he could have and the experiences we could have as first-time parents and all the things he kind of had imagined um didn't really happen but now it just feels like you know he's getting to the age where he can actually enjoy things and the world is coming out of lockdown around the same time so it's just it's kind of lined up well and I'm just so excited to bring him swimming and let him go see animals and go to the beach and I want to bring him to soft play, you know, those typical yes. child. <laughs> yeah, I just really want to bring him there. And I never thought I would be this excited about stuff like that. But even just bringing him to like a shopping center is like, wow, this is so cool. <laughs> I know it's it's the stuff that we took for granted. Alice's um, she, herself and her dad would do, used to do the weekly shop together. And I used to get oh. that time on my own yeah. to do whatever I wanted to do. And obviously with the lockdown, um, she no longer got the got the the trip out to the shops and so yeah. funny enough you don't really remember know you know what do kids remember what they don't remember but she yeah. remembered the tr- the getting to sit in the trolley and so now Aww. that's a big um deal that when she gets she's to go so excited yeah she's like can I sit in the trolley oh. um yeah it, it's oh my god the impact you know you don't you don't know really until they're until they vocalize something like that that you go yeah you mu- that must be such an odd thing for you to have yeah. done you know as it was like a habit for us it was a weekly thing that she did and then all of a sudden it just stops um that's just so hard and you know that's a different experience that like you know I I'm thankful I didn't have to go through like you have an older child who did know more about what she was missing and you had to explain that to her and kind of navigate toddler life at home when there was nowhere to bring her and not really being able to have family support or friends around you know that's a different set of challenges yeah and you're I mean the, the whole social aspect you know you, you're so yeah. worried that is she you know like how is she going to interact with kids and fortunately yeah. she's got such a bubbly personality that she's you know that we were concerned at the start we were like oh she she was a little bit standoffish um, and a bit nervous around other kids but now she's like you know she almost will elbow someone to get a, a go to play with them and stuff so there's no <laughs> oh, fear so for me <laughs> but you know, kids are always much more resilient than we think completely. they will be uh orla it's that time i have to ask you your three final questions okay go for it what would you tell your pregnant self oh how long do you have <laughs> No, um, I think the biggest thing 
that I wish I had really known as a pregnant mother, the first pregnancy that I experienced, I wish I had more confidence in my own instincts. I wish that I, because I, I started off pregnancy feeling so confident that, you know, I had been waiting so long for this. I had been dreaming of this for so long and I had kind of been collecting bits of knowledge here and there up until that point and it was finally, you know, go time. Um, and I just kind of felt knocked then, you know, as the pregnancy developed, as I was telling you earlier at the 33 week appointment and, you know, I was told, no, you'll have to be induced and you won't breastfeed and things like that were kind of being thrown my way. And I started to believe them. I started to think, oh, I won't breastfeed. Oh, my body doesn't know what it's doing. And then, you know, that kind of trickled into other areas of parenting. I just kind of felt like my confidence had been knocked and I wasn't really tuning into that mother instinct that we all have. And that really is so strong if you let it be loud, you know, if you give it that space, I, I really believe that we're all the experts on our own babies. Absolutely. I 100% agree. That motherly yeah. instinct will never lead you astray. No. And I think that as first time mothers, sometimes that does get knocked. But I think that's one thing. I just wish every first time pregnant mother knew that your instinct will always win. What one product could you not live without? I think the thing that I've used the most consistently and it has kind of evolved so when Rowan was first born I used my Ergo Baby wrap constantly he was always in the wrap because he just wanted to be held and cuddled constantly and I love cuddling my baby I never wanted to put him down but I also am quite a busy person so that allowed me to just kind of cuddle him on the go and still have my arms um and it just was so nice to just always have him there. And now that he's bigger, I use the Ergo Baby carrier. So he's still being kind of warned, you know. Yeah, those two those two products are definitely my go-to. And finally, what has been your magic moment? Oh, it would have to be breastfeeding working out. Yeah, that realization that I didn't have to pump anymore and that he was getting all of the milk that he needed directly from me that was just nothing will ever compare to that feeling Orla thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and for sharing your journey I find your perseverance so inspirational and influential and thank you for sharing your mother her journey so far thank you so so much for having me this was actually so enjoyable i loved kind of just chatting about different aspects of parenting and just becoming a new mother so and thank you so much for your podcast it's just so helpful for new mothers you're very welcome thanks Orla. thank you for listening to today's episode of for all mankind if you enjoyed it please rate review and subscribe if you would like to send me a message please email for all mankind at gmail.com or find me on instagram and see you in the next episode of the podcast Gardner Family Apothecary are the official sponsors of For All Mumkind podcast, caring for your sensitive skin with their Elav and Ovel solutions, proudly made in Ireland since 1934. From Ovel Silcox base to Elav's sensitive beauty, their unique formulations provide low irritancy, cruelty-free and sustainable skincare solutions for you, your family and your sensitive skin. You can keep up to date with all of their news, discounts and exclusive offers across Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Gardner Family Apothecary. Visit GardnerFamilyApothecary.com for free next day delivery with purchases over €25. Euro.